Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your co-host, Josh Fairchild, and president of Transit Matters. And I'm your other co-host, Jim Aloisi, on the board of Transit Matters. Today we're joined by Chris Osgood, Chief of Streets for the City of Boston. Um, Chris joins us directly on the heels, probably walked directly over here from a speech uh, made by um, Mayor Walsh. Um, big announcement for transportation and the Boston Transportation Department and some new directions they're going to be going in uh, with regards to bus lanes uh, and some other things. So we're excited to, Chris, get you here um, on the same day, uh, within hours of, of the speech being made. Um, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and take the floor. Sure. And, and you've been here before, so, so welcome back yeah, again. Josh, Jim, thank you. Um, we kept your seat warm. Uh, so, yeah, just tell us, uh, I guess in your own words, you can go ahead and just talk about the announcement. Sure. So uh, sort of the broad context was the mayor was talking about his vision for the city, a city of economic opportunity, a city of equity, and a city of resilience, and really focusing on three big areas that we need to work together to be able to actually achieve that vision. One was around transportation, a second around climate change, uh, and a third around education. In the transportation area, and we can dive into each of the, sort of the specifics of these, um, he focused on things we can do to make our streets safer, particularly for folks who are walking and biking, uh, and that included um, uh, advancing an effort to lower on, on sort of our neighborhood side streets, the uh, speed limit to 20 miles per hour. Um, second, some work which is really focused around uh, accessibility to better transit. And as you referenced, uh, that meant announcing what our next set of, uh, of dedicated bus lanes will, that we'll be piloting in the city of Boston will be. Uh, the announcement of our transit team, which is officially starting, which is terrifically exciting for us. Uh, and then third, an announcement about being able to provide uh, a free uh, MBTA pass to every 7th to 12th grader who goes to school in the city of Boston. Uh, and then third, a set of um, uh, sort of announcements about uh, congestion, particular to uh, how we manage rideshare companies, TNC companies in the city of Boston. So he talked a little bit about the legislation we have and that we are advancing on Beacon Hill, and second, about a new uh, pickup drop-off zone that we're piloting in the Fenway. Okay. Is the the the, uh, the seven to twelve graders um, is that for kids who attend Boston Public School only, or is it across the board? It's public, private, parochial charter. It's a, okay. Yep. So it's, it's really everything in the city of Boston. Every kid. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yep. That's great. Is that a 12-month pass or just during the school year? So it's a, right now, it's a 10-month pass. Uh, it's free for 10 months, and I believe that, that pass can actually be refilled essentially during the other two months. So I think the, I'd like to talk a little bit about the transit team. Mm -hmm. um, is that the official name of it? It so is the official name. BTD yep. transit team. That's correct. So th if I'm correct, this team... Um, evolves a little bit from Go Boston 2030 um, and is designed in part at least, or maybe it's in whole, you, you tell us, uh, to, to think about and fulfill some of the vision in Go Boston 2030. Uh, the team is also a, a direct outcome of the, the mayor's initiative to increase uh, the penalty for violations of certain uh, traffic and, and parking uh, miscues like double parking or letting the meter run over, whatever. Uh, and so a new source of revenue. And tell us a little bit about what the, what the what's the role of the team going to be? How many folks are on it? How, uh, you know, like what will the work be? How transparent will it be to the advocacy community, for example? And what are the metrics that you are looking at to measure the performance of this team? Sure. Uh, all a great set of questions. Yeah. And I, I Definitely appreciate the context. I think it is valuable. I think the last time I might have been here, we were here talking a little bit about uh, the changes to the fine packages for things like double parking mm -hmm. in the city of Boston. Um, knowing that um, the most important thing is that was actually going to change behavior on city streets, but that there was likely to be a revenue increase from that, and that 
that sort of expected additional revenue, which was in total around $5 million, would go to both capital investments as well as some operating increases, including the creation of the transit team. In total, we expect the transit team to be six people, uh, two of whom essentially are on the planning side. Both of them are on board. Um, we're very fortunate to have Matt and Lindy Way uh, having, having started. Uh, they're uh, wonderful talents within BTD. Uh, and then we'll also have folks who are actually on the operational side, uh, knowing that in order to actually manage a bus lane well, that we need people who are uh, there in the early mornings, making sure that it is free and clear, making sure it's well signed and all those sort of pieces. So there's sort of a, a planning and engineering component, and then there's an operational component. Um, in terms of what they uh, their charge is, it is really exactly what you said. We want to go faster on Go Boston 2030, um, and there's two big pieces on that. One is around implementation, and the other is around advocacy. On the implementation side, uh, a lot of work that we need to do is uh, is essentially coordinating with the MBTA on the uh, areas that we've both identified as really important places to focus uh, for improving the bus experience. Uh, so obviously, we worked on Roslindale in 2018. 2019 uh, will include uh, the Brighton Ave work, which we expect to move forward sometime over the course of the summer, uh, and the North Washington Street uh, the North Washington Street uh, work, sort of just coming off of the bridge, which we hope uh, potentially could come even sooner than that. Uh, those will be sort of the uh, two that they'll be working on in addition to uh, focus uh, over the course of this year of starting the community engagement along Blue Hill Avenue. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of metrics of success, um, the, the uh, really sort of moving forward on improving the bus experience and bus reliability is key. I think the previous 30-day um, number for uh, bus reliability, uh, MBTA back on track, was around 70%. Um, obviously, getting that number up is a collaboration between the T uh, and every single municipality. So uh, we're eager to do uh, work, and Matt and the New Way are going to be very focused on that. In addition to that work, there's also the work which all of us have been working on uh, together, which is how we make sure that uh, as things like uh, Focus 40 are being developed and the future rail vision mm -hmm. are being developed, uh, that uh, we are um, understanding the needs and interests of our constituents and advocating for them well, and so that those long-term plans uh, have uh, great ideas in them and that those great ideas then get put into action. I think it's important for people to see and understand uh, that improving the bus transit experience is probably the best, most cost-effective bang-for-the-buck improvement that can happen in many of the inner core communities, including Boston. And so dedicated lanes, enforcement, I think I'd like to ask you a little bit about how that works. How do you coordinate real enforcement of the lanes? Um, will you be considering introducing traffic signal priority? Um, what about those two issues, the enforcement yeah. and the TSP? So uh, we certainly did with Rosendale in particular. We learned a lot about what would it take to actually sort of do the initial enforcement to make sure that the lane was free and clear, mm -hmm. uh, but also to sort of maintain it, uh, that over time. Um, certainly you need to do more in the very beginning uh, around notification and uh, even unfortunately towing uh, when that doesn't happen, uh, but that eventually you sort of build up a pattern where uh, people know not to park in a particular area. Uh, things like the red paint, uh, uh, the numbers, the signs, those things really make a difference. Um, so those will obviously be components of what we're doing um, going forward. Um, the second part of what you asked was Tr uh, uh, TSP. TSP. So uh, the TSP piece is obviously uh, there's been ongoing conversations between our traffic signal team and the MBTA actually for a, a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, so the key quarters have been identified. Some of the TSP has been implemented. I think there's some additional work that we can be doing with the MBTA to think about, are we giving the right amount of additional green time? Or are we shortening the red time by the right amount? Mm -hmm. To think about how we move, not just buses, but things like the B-Line, Duncom F. Are you thinking about TSP also for ambulances and EMT vehicles and public safety? So not that 
Not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Our focus has really been in the co- coordination with the MBTA. It's possible our single team has been doing some special, yeah. uh, specific work with emergency services. Mm-hmm. I mean, good. it occurs to me that once um, you have a lot more bus lanes or bus treatments, then emergency vehicles could use those also, um, I guess, during the times when they're, they're in effect. Mm-hmm. So do you have any sense of or a goal for how many of these bus lanes or bus corridor treatments you're hoping to roll out in a given year? So we don't have a specific goal right now. Uh, I think that we are learning, uh, frankly, with Matt and Lindy Wayne and their roles for probably about three weeks now, um, how fast we will be able to go. Our hope is that we can do, uh, we will obviously increase our capacity over the one we did last year um, to be able to do more this year and be able to ramp it up from there. What is in Go Boston 2030 and those corridors that have been identified by the MBTA, CTPS, uh, the city, et cetera, um, will require us to sort of go even faster than that in the years ahead. Uh, and so we look forward to being able to build up that sort of capacity to go at that rate. So I wanted to ask another question about, you know, other modes, more active transportation, and whether this team will, will be doing anything in those areas. So, for example, I I live in West Roxbury, mm-hmm. and, and right where I cross the street almost every day is where a woman um, was struck and, and, and killed a few weeks ago. And um, so I thought, you know, of course, because cars doesn't matter that they only have a block. As soon as they get any type of freedom, they just hit the accelerator because it's a pretty it's a four lane street which you don't see very often in a lot of places in Boston. So I'm wondering how how the city responds to that. Is this transit team going to be tackling issues like that? Because while we do see some treatments, for example in the Ar- in the Arboretum bus in South Street, mm-hmm. big improvements there um, that I, I appreciate because I run through there. Um, but how are how is the city responding to those things? Sure. Uh, so th- separate from the work of the transit team is the work of the active transportation team. So part of the funding and a lot of the capital funding that was associated with the uh, increase to uh, some of the parking tickets uh, that were, was done last year actually goes to really that active transportation group with a focus on uh, safer crossings. So Bussy and South, Walter and Bussy um, being two examples, as well as looking at longer corridors. Um, as part of that, we are... Uh, doing work right now on the Center Street corridor in West Roxbury, um, not just the Center and Hastings, but along that entire entire stretch, um, working with the community. We'll actually be going back out to the community in June uh, with some uh, design options for how we can make that corridor better. Um, uh, what happened at Center and Hastings was an absolute tragedy. You know, another element of the mayor's speech today was, um, I think he made reference to legislation that he's sp- sponsoring at the State House to raise the fees on Uber and Lyft, what we call TNCs. Uh, can you tell a little bit about, talk a little bit about what the mayor's bill, what that vision contains, and wh- how you all see that being part of the mix of transportation management in the city of Boston? Sure. So the real intent of the legislation is to uh, see how we can align uh, the sort of services that Uber and Lyft provide with the goals that we all have uh, mm-hmm. for our city and for our region, um, ways that we can actually uh, encourage uh, more walking, biking, and transit or shared rides um, just simply to be able to make our entire region work better. I think what we are all um, struck by is um, just the volume of Uber and Lyft rides and TNC rides in general. I think it was 35 that started, in, a million, 35 million that started in the city of Boston uh, in 2017, um, which is uh, about 96,000 a day, more passengers than the average weekday on mm-hmm. the blue line, just a huge number of, uh, of folks who are taking Uber and Lyft, which underscores sort of it, the role it plays right now as part of uh, the mobility options of this region. Um, however, we know from the good work that MAPC has done that 
for every single one of those trips, there's probably a 35 cent reduction in revenue to the MBTA, and that the majority of those trips would have been taken by uh, active transportation or by transit um, had they not been taken um, by a TNC. So thinking about our, our greenhouse gas emission goals and our congestion goals, um, we are working hard to figure out how do we uh, sort of update the existing legislation mm -hmm. to sort of really reinforce uh, the way in which ride sharing could work better in the Commonwealth. So part of that is to change the 20 cent assessment right now um, to actually update it so you would say higher assessment if you're riding alone and say mm -hmm. lower assessment if it's a shared ride. The idea that will actually encourage carpooling and particularly reduce uh, during rush hour the number of, of trips on our streets. Second, it's looking at um, vehicles during rush hour that essentially are um, unoccupied, uh, but driving around. Deadheading. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, a 20 cent uh, assessment per mile uh, that would be charged in, those, in that particular case. Um, in terms of the uh, assessment, the per trip assessment, it would be changing from a, a flat fee, so again, 20 cents currently, um, to one that is um, a percentage. So it would be six and a quarter percent um, for mm -hmm. a solo trip, and I believe a three or three and a quarter uh, percent um, assessment for a, a shared trip. Um, one thing which we are also interested in, though, as part of our overall, overall um, carbon-free Boston efforts is how we encourage more electric vehicles. So mm -hmm. you actually would have an opportunity um, to be exempt from those, uh, from things like the, um, uh, the uh, sort of cruising during rush hour uh, surcharge if your vehicle was an EV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of money. So where would the money go? Would it go into... 100% of the city for sustainable mobility? So right now the split, as uh, folks are probably aware, of the 20 cent assessment, 10 cents goes to the municipality where the trip uh, originated, 5 cents goes to uh, essentially a state transportation fund, and 5 mm -hmm. cents for the next few years goes to um, uh, Mass Development, who's currently partnering with MAPC to focus on economic development support for the taxi and livery uh, industry. Uh, this would have a, a similar uh, mix. We do have a very specific interest, uh, though, knowing the financial impact this has on mass transit to make sure that this is a that more of this revenue actually goes to supporting better transit in the region. Yeah, I've seen data recently that um, 12 million TNC visits to and from Logan Airport. Five million of the 12 are deadheads. I mean, that's a lot of money for the city or for to put, invest back in projects that are really useful for right. sustainable mobility. Right. And that issue at Logan, as you know, is only getting worse. It's really congesting the tunnels, the roadway system in East Boston. And yeah. it's, there's no, right now at least, there's there's doesn't seem to be light at the end, of, no pun intended, at the end of that particular tunnel. I, I think that uh, this is where your good advocacy, um, mm -hmm. the advocacy of Commissioner Piandaka, uh, the mayor, to be able to at least move up the red-blue connector um, as a uh, uh, sort of in the timeline of Focus 40 matters. I think uh, big infrastructure investments like that are going to be at least a part of the solution for how we're going to get more people to and from key places like Logan Airport. Uh, and we need that to be not only in Focus 40, but funded to be able to move forward. And that's obviously a key piece of advocacy that we all have in front of us. I think, uh, well, tr I know Transit Matters and others are going to be helping lead an effort to get funding in the CIP in the next month or two. hope the city would agree to weigh in on that. I know the commissioner came to the yes. to the FMCB. But connecting red to blue, is it's more than just a sort of connect East Boston issue. It's a, obviously connect Kendall and I, all of the stuff that's going on there, the jobs, the innovation, connect that better to the destinations along the blue line, including Logan Airport, Absolutely. including Suffolk Downs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the developer of Suffolk Downs also came to that hearing to support. Yep. 
connecting red to blue. So um, hopefully we can all agree that we need to get, you know, it's great. And I applaud the secretary for, for advancing the idea that that should be on focus 40. We got to put money now into actually real engineering and get, get it done. Um, And particularly with the mass general investment, I would think from a city's perspective, the opportunity to transform Cambridge street into a really beautiful gateway into the city could occur if you actually made this connection happen. I think it is it is already a gateway. There's a lot right. we need to do to make it even a more welcoming gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, the Longfellow Bridge has been redone. You can imagine what that corridor could become. It is a huge point of connection for cyclists uh, coming from Cambridge or going from Boston to Cambridge. So really getting uh, Cambridge Street right between essentially the Longfellow Bridge and City Hall is a high priority for us. Can we go back to the, the transit team for a minute? Mm-hmm. So just in terms of how it functions within City Hall, are they reporting to your office? Or how does it work? Yep. So they report yeah. to Vinny Gupta, our director of transportation. Okay. Okay. Planning and policy, and are part of uh, a familiar the, name. Yes, yeah. and part of uh, the VTD team. Okay, that's good. You mentioned that if if you could, you'd you'd push up the uh, implementation of the North Washington Street Bridge bus line. Do you think that could even happen during construction? Yes. So uh, the bus lane that we are uh, are talking about essentially is the uh, section which is after the uh, after where the bridge hits essentially the north end of the Bullfish Triangle. So going from Keeney Square, essentially okay. Causeway Street and Commercial Street, towards Haymarket. Um, that would then obviously connect with the bus lane, which is being built as part of the North Washington Street Bridge reconstruction. Okay. Will the team be looking at uh, night bus overnight transit service and working with? I, mean, I know this. By the way, the city was extremely like collaborative with us, Transit Matters, and others to make both early morning service permanent, right. which it is, and night bus uh, pilot happen. I think the the data has still not been pretty robust yet, as far as I know, on the overnight piece, but. Will you folks be working on that to hopefully make that permanent? I think there are f- I've talked recently to folks at the Mass Restaurant Association who say we need the service now more than ever. So uh, absolutely. And uh, you were uh, both of you sort of terrific leaders on exactly this. It's one of the things the mayor actually talked about today in the Municipal Research Bureau speech uh, was the fact that early morning service was both piloted and made permanent by the MBTA, uh, which is a credit to them and a credit to the great advocacy um, of transit matters. Certainly night bus is the piece which hand in hand we've always been talking about is the other other component right. of, uh, here. Uh, and so it is still a, a high priority for us for those same uh, reasons mm-hmm. of really just connecting third shift workers and really uh, supporting the overall economy of the region. Um, that is part of the advocacy work of the of the transit team. Uh, and it's one of those goals in Go Boston 2030 that's on their plate to move forward. Are you folks looking at what happened in Everett, for example, as an example, going back to bus? I know that one of the things that happened in Everett that was kind of interesting is they they purchased – a device, they actually purchased it from a company in Spain um, to um, do a, a, a pilot for level boarding. And they, they were pretty happy yeah. with the outcome. So yeah. I, have you guys thought about that as part of your piloting to do to play with things like, not play with things makes it sound trivial, but no, to yeah. introduce uh, elements of better bus that, like that? Yep. So we actually have looked at exactly the same yeah. thing, which, uh, which Everett purchased the exact same um, sort of piece of equipment. Uh, I don't believe that will necessarily be part of either the Alston or the North Washington Street pilot themselves, but those are exactly the sort of things we'd want in our kit of parts to Mm -hmm. make sure that we are moving buses. It isn't always going to necessarily be a dedicated bus lane in some places. It may be just a a bumped-out bus stop with a level boarding, a Q jump, or uh, or TSP, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a a good um, opportunity to also discuss other sort of city and MBTA cooperation. I know you talked about the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding for the Bus Lanes. Will that extend to other bus treatments? So, for example, it's very cold out lately. Um, there's been a lot of talk about there should be 
heaters in bus stations, um, key bus stations especially. Um, has there been any thought about how you could work with the MBTA to make those things happen, whether money from the CPA could yeah. be used or um, you know other revenues that are being raised? So the um, the T has been having a couple conversations around the sort of the future of the bus stop, um, and that's something which we are quite interested in as well. Uh, we have uh, a partner with JC Deco uh, that the T has worked with in the past, um, and I think we want to figure out how do we work with the T to make sure that even waiting for the bus is a is a good experience to make sure that entire that one's entire experience of the, of the bus and not just the bus trip is, is a good one. Uh, there's certainly some work that we need to do to be able to get that done, uh, thinking about what that design looks like, what's needed for installation, uh, and then how that gets funded. And some of those are the questions ahead. Right. Now, the T cooperates with the company Swiftly, which helps with both the, the back end and the customer facing, <coughs> the, the rider facing end of um, the data about where the buses are, where the trains are, um, and making that data better. Mm -hmm. And so that the T can use it to better dispatch buses uh, on trains. And I wonder if they share, is that a, a tripart agreement? Do you get the information? Are you able to use that kind of information either through from the T or from Swiftly? So I think we've got a very good relationship with uh, um, the T's data team. Uh, they've got a lot of very, very talented people there. Uh, I think there is I think the sort of analysis which has been done already, which is really guiding sort of our prioritization of the bus network, uh, is has been immensely valuable. My guess is there's probably even more that we can do to understand just general flows of people in our city um, by leveraging that data, uh, and some of that's sort of the work ahead. We've got a very good partner inside the city uh, in our new chief data officer, um, who has been who's got a great interest in transportation, and she and her team have been a very good support to BTD. So, I think there's some work ahead that we can do to leverage that. Speaking of flows of people, you know, into the city, um, so congestion pricing is is coming up uh, again and again with more frequency, and uh, New York is now interested in moving forward with congestion pricing. Yeah. Um, it, has there been discussion uh, about about that within the city of Boston? Are you watching these developments? Do you have designs? So there's obviously been a, a lot of conversation within the Commonwealth, and it's been, I think, part of a, a couple of the reports which have, uh, which have come out. Our focus has largely been on those sources of revenue that are, um, that are the things which the city of Boston itself can do. Um, so as you know, we raised parking meter rates, which allowed us to be able to increase turnover, reduce uh, double parking, and be able to add additional revenue to be able to improve transportation. We increased parking fines, essentially, for the same sort of purpose, increase turnover, reduce double parking, uh, expand uh, our capacity to get things done more quickly, things like the transit team. Those have really been our principal focuses. Um, I think with something like uh, uh, congestion pricing, it, it does make me think of the, uh, the work which we are also separately engaged in uh, together around the future rail vision. Mm -hmm. uh, that in order to think about how we uh, make uh, people uh, get into and out of the city of Boston or really across the region better, uh, high quality all-day service uh, uh, and higher-frequency service on the commuter rail is simply essential. Um, so I've been very heartened by the work that the MBTA has been leading. Um, the, a lot of the plans that they, uh, a lot of the options of the seven options that they've been presenting show much higher-frequency service uh, along our lines. Uh, and I think it's important that we uh, come to a good conclusion about what that future rail should look like and then uh, similar to our Red Blue conversation, uh, make sure that we fund it. I think that there's been a consensus building um, to look at regional rail as the answer to a lot of issues. Agreed. And to think about it as electrified and to think about it as frequent all day. Exactly. Leads me to ask and think about the importance. The Secretary made a, what most people view as a really good decision at Alston Landing in terms of how the turnpike will be rebuilt. Yep. 
the next layer of decision making really needs to, in my view, really needs to focus on an sort of early build West Station. What does it look like? And having that station function as a real a, a regional node. Um, one of the things that we're beginning to talk more and more about is the because the turnpike will be it's pretty bad today, as we all know. It will be even worse and disrupted for 10 years during construction. The importance of testing out frequent all-day service on the Worcester, Worcester line, line. Mm -hmm. so people in Metro West and Worcester can get, get to jobs and, and vice versa, um, is something we think could be done pretty cost-effectively. I don't know if the city is reaching out to its counterparts in Metro West or Worcester to think about a, a way to come together to make both that mitigation and West Station a, a sort of joint effort. So as you wrote about, I think, today. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, a lot happened today. Exactly. Uh, so certainly uh, we, are, we are very uh, pleased by the Secretary's decision around uh, the uh, sort of plans for the Beacon Yards area. We think that uh, uh, the decision that she's come to uh, is a very good one, but it will mean a lot of disruption. And it mm -hmm. does mean that in order for uh, those uh, sort of uh, west of Boston connections to really uh, work well, that uh, sort of travel in, that we really do need the Worcester line to be high functioning. It is, to your point, a great opportunity to test exactly what we're talking about in these rail vision conversations mm -hmm. and much more frequent uh, service along that corridor. We also think that, that there is a reason then that we should be looking at West Station to be built as soon as possible and not just to think about it as a commuter rail hub, but to think about how it connects with bus service either north to Harvard Square, south to Brookline, Mm -hmm. east along Com Ave and down to the LMA, et cetera. Uh, that is a core part of what we are uh, we are advocating for. And obviously, um, the Grand Junction connection there, whether that's a shuttle or a spur off of the Worcester line, I think are things which are uh, really important. And we're pleased that it looks like that's going to be part of the uh, original build, too. I think so. so. So there's been some interesting articles just in the last few days as the, uh, the MBTA and the Fiscal Management Control Board has been discussing fare increases. And... Um, some of the board members seem to be against raising fares um, without, in tandem, raising other revenue sources around transportation in the state. And, you know, the city of Boston is, of course, hit the mo most hard. The residents are hit most hard when, when fares are raised. Um, and also because to the extent that people migrate towards using personal vehicles, that also affects the city of Boston the most. Um, additionally, Councillor Wu has said, well, we should have free fares, you know. Um, what, what's the thinking of, of the mayor with regards to, you know, Governor Baker still says that he's not interested in focusing on those things, but let's just raise the fares and talk about uh, TCI, uh, which is RGGI for transportation, you know, later. What, what's the mayor thinking on these things right now? So the mayor's a big advocate for more funding for the MBTA. Uh, I think that they're on the fare increase itself, a couple things. One, uh, right now, uh, what uh, has been presented is a $32 million uh, increase that would result in $32 million of new revenue and result, if I recall correctly, in about a 1.3% decline in ridership or about 4. million uh, fewer trips either taken or 4.8 million trips uh, taken by vehicle. Um, again, that is sort of not an outcome which uh, is beneficial to uh, our economy, our environment, um, our roads. So part of what the mayor has been pushing is to make sure that the MBTA is showing if there's going to be an increase, tell us how you're going to spend that revenue so that we understand that we're not simply getting fewer riders, we're actually going to get better service from this. Second, in, what, in any sort of fare increase uh, proposal or any sort of fare structure in general, 
seniors and youth and those who are most transit dependent need to be most supported, which is why uh, the announcement today that the mayor made uh, is one that was very important to him, that we make sure that we are actually giving more T-passes uh, at no cost to youth uh, to 7th and 12th graders across the city of Boston. Chris, does the mayor support uh, the Senator Lesser's bill, the, the regional ballot initiative bill? And let's talk a little bit about what that might mean for Boston. And have you thought about how, how you might what you might do if the bill became law. So that was also actually part of the mayor's remarks today in thinking about mm -hmm. sources of revenue uh, for transit and transportation projects in general. Uh, MAPC has been a longtime leader in pushing for regional ballot initiatives. That is something which um, the mayor echoed uh, today and is part of our legislative agenda. Uh, it has been something which overwhelmingly has been supported by voters. The uh, ballot initiatives tend to be very successful, and it's bringing hundreds of millions of dollars to places like Denver, tens of millions of dollars to places like Indianapolis, obviously even more to Los Angeles right, right. at a very different scale. Uh, and so I, I think it is, it is a similar situation where when the um, – Residents know what they are paying for. They are more willing to pay. They are more willing to invest. And I think that, that clarity that a regional ballot initiative um, allows is really, really important. I think it's mm -hmm. one of those things which makes it very attractive. Um, we do need, obviously, the Commonwealth, uh, the legislature, to actually uh, support the RBI initiative. Um, uh, and so we're hoping to see that passed. In terms of things that we would actually propose, uh, the the projects that are kind of outlined in Go Boston 2030 would be a starting point. The things that are in the future rail vision and Focus 40 also are, are other options. Um, a combination of things that are about state of good repair, mm -hmm. uh, but also about transformation, I think, would be on our minds. Again, things we talked about in the past, Fairmount Line, right. uh, improvements yeah. across the city, some, uh, sort of investments in our bridges and roads, et cetera. Speaking of revenue levers that the city has full control over that, you know, BTD could benefit from, um, you know, when I lived in Brookline for several years, every year I paid something like 20 or $40, you know, t for the privilege to park on the streets of Brookline for more than two hours at a time. Mind you, I couldn't park overnight. I still had to go find, a, you know, hike up a hill and find a cheap parking spot for that. Um, but, you know, is that something that we're going to get around to at some point here in Boston? So there have been a number of, uh, of hearings sort of, uh, about uh, sort of resident permit parking charges. Um, Right now, our focus has really been on things like performance parking uh, and parking fines, in part because um, those have a clearer link with, the, I think, the sort of mobility behavior change that we're most interested in. You change the price of a parking meter, you get a higher degree of turnover, you do a better job of supporting businesses, you reduce double parking. You change parking fines with double parking, you have some similar impacts where you're reducing congestion and improving safety on the road. So in some ways, those two levers, which are uh, – to the, that BTD has are much closer to the actual sort of way in which people use our streets uh, than necessarily charging for, for RPP, for resident permit parking. So that's really been our focus. So I think because there's, there's another train of thought which would say that the, the mentality of sort of I have a right to park my 4,000 pound, you know, personal property you know, on the curb for weeks on end uh, without moving it. And if someone tells me that there's a snow emergency or, you know, if I shovel it out, well, I, I pretty much own it. Um, it seems like if you had to kind of go to the city and say, well, here's just $20, you know, you know, people would start to feel like, well, maybe I don't own that piece of, you know, 10 by 8 space or whatever it is right in front of, you know, my curb. You know, I think people are still coming to us all the time for an RPP sticker. I think there's that sense of this is this is not a um, a right, but something which is which is provided. I appreciate the. Uh, I think uh, it's a I think it's a complex issue. You know, I I um, I don't think it's as simple as saying charge people without thinking about how the public realm is going to be evolving, particularly in a city like Boston. If the governor's commission on the future of transportation is correct, and I think that they mostly are. If we're moving toward a future of, for example, electric vehicles in the next decade or yep. so, we need to think about, you know, 
the privileged people who have condominiums with garages, that's easy, and no one's asking them to cut a check. The people being asked to cut a check are the people who live in triple-deckers in Eastie and Southie and wherever. And if they're going to buy electric, they get to figure out where to charge that, and the public realm's going to change. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a whole evolution that needs to be considered in terms of automobile energy, use, public realm, and how that evolves over the next 10 years or so. Yep. Are people thinking about those issues, or is it? Are people still looking at it like, oh, that's too far away into the future? On EVs in particular, or just in well, uh, EVs in particular, uh, but yeah. in general, yeah. the sort of and the equity issue of I have a garage, I can afford it, yeah. I don't pay, I'm stuck, you know, I'm renting in a second floor in East Boston, and I gotta yep. give the city twenty bucks. Yeah, so um, perhaps three different things like that. One sort of from I'm taking uh, from a contrarian today. view no. on this, no, no, obviously. No, no. Well, of course, people with garages still like to often park on the street. For no, I understand reasons, that. So. I get that. I get that. Uh, so on, on EVs, part of the mayor's speech uh, today was to uh, announce that if people are building new garages uh, in the city of Boston, uh, that all parking spaces in those new garages actually have to be wired for EV charging, and that 25 oh, of those spaces actually have to have EV chargers in them. Uh, we're also going to take the step, uh, the city of Boston itself uh, has roughly 30 municipal lots. These are sort of surface lots throughout the entire city. Um, including, I think, one uh, near where, where you live, uh, Josh. Uh, and we're going to be looking at putting EV chargers in those to be able to provide more public access for people who don't have a garage, this garage orphans, as it's, as it's often called, um, to be able to allow the sort of uh, uh, people who have an interest in buying an EV that ability to sort of shift to that as a platform. Second, you know, obviously car ownership is something which may just financially not be an option for a lot of residents uh, in the city of Boston. So we are looking at expanding our own car share program, a program called Drive, Drive Boston, where we're providing more uh, sort of uh, more access to uh, car share uh, opportunities. Right now it's a collaboration with Zipcar, um, where folks who belong to Zipcar can then be able to have access to a, a Zipcar that may be in a municipal lot uh, or on street. Um, third, I, I do think that the there is an equity consideration, certainly, with, with charging for, uh, for resident parking. Um, obviously, when you charge around meters, you charge around, uh, around uh, parking fines. The intent is to use price as a lever to, in some ways, change behavior. Um, if, if the behavior changes that the poorest in our, in our uh, city can't afford to own a car, and mm -hmm. if a car is the only way in which they can get around, um, there's a way in which it may have a, a different uh, impact on, on mobility than, than what we, uh, was intended. So a final practical question as we, as we close up here, close up shop. Uh, so the bus lines that, mm -hmm. that are being put in, um, I think I rode the, the bus two days in a row and saw cars parked in front of a, a similar store right in front of um, Rossi Square. Uh, we don't have to name it at this point, but um, an, an another day earlier this week, you know, I was on the 51 bus and it's trying to turn in the corner from Walter Street onto South Street. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a tight corner, and you know the snow didn't help, and couldn't get through. You know, and we're, we're, st we're stuck for like five minutes and a half turn because of the cars parked there. So, are these types of issues? Are these three one one issues? Are these you know tweet at BTD? Uh, is this an MBTA issue? You know, who's who do we need to reach out to? Who's keeping an eye on these kinds of things? We're towing definitely three one one. Um, so uh, just call three one one. Use the Boss three one one app. Uh, it'll get to our parking enforcement team. Uh, and it'll be one of the fastest ways we can deal with it. Again, sort of part of the transit team is an operational component, and so we want to figure out how to make sure that operational team is making sure that our, we're not just striping a bus lane or creating a bus lane, but that bus lane is actually functioning well. Great. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Chris, and thank you to the listener for joining us for another exciting edition of the Commonwealth Magazine Podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. We'll see you next time.